Welcome once again to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. I'm Kathleen. We're from Loading Ready Run, which is a library. Yes, we curate and lend fine artisanal internet comedy. Nice. Uh, I have no other jokes to make for that. You don't prep me on these. No, I don't. Fake intros for what we actually do beforehand. <laughs> so I don't know. No, we're an internet comedy group. And as you can tell from this incredibly funny intro, we are so good at our jobs. It's a scintillating conversation. But today, we are here to talk to you about Magnum P.I. It's the Magnum Rewatch podcast. We're rewatching Magnum P.I. Classic show of the 1980s. And we're telling you all about it and the related trivia. And today's episode is Magnum episode 21, The Woman on the Beach, which I initially had misgivings with because the pre-title opening montage the sort of this week on magnum pi that plays in front of every episode the actress in it the the guest actress kathleen and i both immediately recognized it's judith chapman judith chapman who played louise de jackson in the black orchid and who <laughs> we did not like in that episode no well the black orchid had some writing problems and some logic problems and some stupid problems well let's talk about the episode so the cold open is set in the past. There's a lady who's like skulking around a garden and of course she's wearing traditional garden skulking gear which is an all white outfit with like a white scarf draped around her head very ridiculously. You know, it's all very fancy and I'm like, of course, when you want to blend into the shadows. Well, there is, they are having a party. Like there's clearly some sort of garden party or something going on yes but what kind of person is like mucking about in the dark and says oh i do not wish for anyone to see me i shall drape this white fabric around my head to make myself more incognito sarah clifford that's true that's the name of this character yeah she finds herself on the tennis courts and there's two people like doing the 1940s equivalent of like heavy petting so it's like polite kissing (laughs) and she's just like him and then they leave and then she starts calling for Clay. Oh, well, such waspy names. Clay, Chet. She's calling for Clay. Yes, it's, it's not, the, not, the, not the tennis surface. She's calling for someone named Clayton. And a tennis ball gets thrown at her. And she's not like, a fan of the French Open, are you? No. And she's like, oh, oh, Clay, you're so funny with the, you're throwing a tennis ball at me. Like, not at her. Like, he bounces one towards her. And then another one. And she's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then a third one. And she's like, okay, no, but seriously. And so she walks over. To where the tennis balls are coming from. And realizes that it's not Clay. It's some other guy. We don't, we only see his feet. Well, well, his legs. Yeah. She doesn't even say his name. She's just like, you. And then she runs from him and he chases her. Okay. I have some major problems here. She's like (laughs) running around in heels. And so she's like, oh, and trips. And it's like, fine. But she runs into a potting shed instead of just back to the house. Yeah. Where there's people. Yeah, there's a literal party going on. Those two heavy petters can't have gotten far. No, they're probably having a light amble. You could have caught up to them on the... Okay. Or screamed. Yeah, I mean, there's that. Uh, So, But she runs into a potting shed. Or maybe like a greenhouse. It's a greenhouse, I guess. Yeah, and then she gets trapped there. Because the door on the far side is locked, which we are shown with a close-up shot of the padlock on the outside of that door while she is shaking the door to try and get it open. Yeah, she's just like... "Ah!" as this mysterious figure advances on her and then done and then we find ourselves at the king kamehameha club well the new king kamehameha club the yeah the one well it's the same one it's just different the new location yeah this is supposed to be like the main lobby where they you know had like the reporters coming in for the curse of the king kamehameha club and it looks so different and it doesn't look 
like a club. It looks like a house. Is this really supposed to be the lobby? Isn't this supposed to be like Rick's apartment at the club? I don't know. Rick lived at the club. Well, we've never seen Rick's house. That's true. And this really looks like an apartment. Well, I mean, it's set. It's shot in an actual house, right? I think so. Yeah. No, we talked about this last episode. Yeah. It's a historic building. Also, we find out that the King Kamehameha Club is established in 1905. Doesn't wait. What about the curse of the King Kamehameha Club? Doesn't that go against what old Farta McGee would have done to give the land to the King Kamehameha Club? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Because, like, I realize he is senile as f. But it's still 1980, so that's 75 years. Yeah. So unless he established it in 19, like when he was 20, like that's like the, the youngest you can be when you're going to establish a club. Yeah, it doesn't quite add up. God damn it, Magnum Continuity Department! I expect better from you. The scene is Magnum and TC are trying to get Rick to come out and have some fun because Magnum actually got paid. He's and, got money, and he's got tickets to the Red Light Club. Which is exactly what it sounds like. It's That's the impression that they give, yes. I believe, doesn't Rick say, isn't that that place that gets shut down every couple months? Yeah. <laughs> For indecency, I assume. For unsheathed vaginas, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> well, there's a show. There's there's some, some aspect that it, there is a show. It's not just like an attraction there's like some sort of thing that they have i mean i hope it's not getting just shut down for like health code violations like fridge too warm or something i mean that's not as exotic as it that'd be really boring isn't that that place that gets shut down every two months yeah i pulled them up on the website and it says uh fridge too warm and uh unsanitary uh transportation of raw meats prepared food in mislabeled tupperware and that's a thing that is a thing you're supposed to keep your vegetables and meat separate wouldn't that be the worst like the most boring thing like oh they get shut down all the time it's like why oh well because they don't label their tupperware correctly well i mean that's how you get food poisoning though right yeah no i know rick doesn't want to go because he has a date not only a date it's a hot date it's a hot date with the woman he loves oh yeah he's breaking out he's got champagne he's got candles he's got lamb yeah. Oh, is it lamb? Yeah. That's fancy. Yeah. I like lamb. Mm-hmm. I don't know if lamb is on the line. Maybe I wouldn't have pulled a Janice Coop. That is the name of the lady that uh, he is uh, waiting for, by the way. And oh. Magnum and TC are like, oh, you, I, we didn't know that you, there was someone that you were like so serious with. That's that's awesome. What What's she like? When did you meet her? And Rick says, I met her two days ago. And they burst out laughing. And, and don't stop for several minutes. They are giving him a furious ribbing. Perhaps this is something that Rick does often, I feel, is the lesson to take away from this scene. That might be the case. That Rick is a bit of a hopeless romantic. Well, hey, says Rick, when you know, you know. Oh, that's fair. Which is, yeah, okay. But maybe you don't, maybe you don't know, Rick. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe Rick doesn't realize when he knows and when he doesn't know. Now, we were watching this with our friends Adam and Lindsay, and Adam is like, is Rick always the butt of jokes? I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. So I had him very smartly got to the end of that. Magnum and TC decide that they will wait with Rick to meet this amazing woman before they take off. Well, she's going to be such a big part of their friend's life. Apparently, before they take off and leave him to his evening. Mm-hmm. Rick has just lit some candles. So then we get the perfect time has passed scene transition where we dissolve to those self-same candles now. Much mm, lower. Only like a third remaining. Oh, and like less than that. It's like two inches. And Janice isn't, isn't here. Janice Coop has stood Rick up. And Rick's just like, gee, I don't know where she could be, guys. And Magnum and TC are still kind of quietly chortling. Yeah. I mean, this is pre-internet days, so you had to amuse yourself how you could. But Magnum's like, you could phone her. And Rick says, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, sure, all right. So he picks up the phone, calls her, gets someone else. Like a roommate or something. Janice is, uh, her sister? Yeah. Yeah. It's a girl. Janice has left the country to get married. This is so comically awful. 
Rick just says, oh, okay, that's okay, goodbye, and hangs up the phone. And Magnum like, and TC react in the way that two good, solid friends who will always stand by you react. They laugh again. Well, they don't laugh quite as hard. They're actually, you know, they feel bad for their friend. You know, they give him some uh, words of encouragement and all that. And then the second he's left the room, they leap on the lamb. Well, because like, they've been waiting there for hours. It's probably too late to go to the Red Light Club. Yeah. So they're just like... They just start tearing the lamb up. Rick then steps outside to the club where he sits down at the bar with Keone, who was introduced a couple episodes ago, the new bartender. Right. Wearing the same shirt that Moki wore. Well, maybe they just pulled it off Moki's desiccated corpse. Presumably. I just presume that actor just vanished and turned into a skeleton. And they're like, well, let's find somebody approximately the same size and give him a similar name. <laughs> No one will notice. Rick asks for drinks to never stop. He he orders, what does he order? Like a rum and coke or something? I don't know. I can't remember. Note keeping fail. He says, give me a what, what, whatever highball and never stop bringing them over. And then give me a cigarette. And Keone's like, you stopped smoking. And Rick says, yeah, well, now I'm smoking again. Because He's, why not? So Rick is feeling sorry for himself and moping and smoking. And then he notices a beautiful lady dressed all in white, kind of conspicuously, and goes over to talk to her. My goodness, Graham, it's the same lady from the opening scene. The woman who died in 1945? Yeah, apparently. Well, I mean, we I guess we didn't see her die. But that was 35 years ago, so she would probably look a little different. I guess we don't technically know it's 1945 yet, but we definitely know it's the past. No, it did start with saying 1945 oh. at the beginning. Well, note-keeping double fail. All right. Let's see how many fails I can get by the end of this episode. And so he comes over and he's like, um, hi, are you a member of this club? And she's like, oh, no, it just looks so invi- I'm not doing a stupid voice. I'm literally doing the job that she's doing. I feel like she's this She's not act- that bad. She's not that People bad. didn't talk like that in the 40s. We've seen an episode set in the 40s and everybody had normal voices. <laughs> She's high society, Kathleen. She's not high society in England. Well, yeah, you're right. Oh, no, I just look so inviting. I just no, want to She doesn't in. sound like that. <laughs> you never let me have any fun. <laughs> Anyhow. Rick says, no, you can stay. You can stay as my guest. How, how's it going? I am I am Rick. I am Rixman. I am, I am a single man. How, how are you? You are a pretty lady. And she introduces herself as Sarah Clifford. And she's all like, I'm not having a great night. Meh. You know, things aren't super good. And he's like, oh, well, let's go along for a walk along the beach and you can tell me about it. I am Rixman and I am a good listener. I am everything a lady would want in a partner. See me as sexually available. Let's go. So they walk along the beach for presumably some time. We cut to them holding their shoes and walking along in the in the shallow surf. That's how you can tell she's wacky. Because, like, in real life, why would you want to do this? Because then you'd have, like, water and sand all over your feet that you'd have to put your dress shoes back on and there'd be, like, sand in there and it'd be so uncomfortable. Other people have different ideas of what is romantic. I just don't think sand between my toes rubbing and giving me blisters is particularly romantic. Well, it's why you walk in the surf. To wash the sand out. But then you can't get back out of it. It like there's there's yeah, no Yeah, it's not a perfect system. Yeah, I guess in my perfect romantic beach fantasy, I'm like, actually let's walk along this path in the grass beside the beach so we can have the beach ambiance but none of the sand issues. But also in my perfect fantasy I'm wearing sensible shoes, so maybe I don't have these problems. I wanna see your okay cupid profile now. Likes long walks on the beach. And long walks adjacent to the beach. Yeah. Long walks near the beach. Within uh, within full view of the beach, but not explicitly on the beach. To avoid sand problems. 
God, I'm a keeper. Likes watching the sunset from a safe distance. Not directly looking at the sun. Well, no, that's not safe. That's bad for your eyes. You make the pinhole viewers. Like, remember doing that? When an eclipse would come by, they would show you how to make a pinhole viewer. So you have one of those. Enjoys viewing sunsets with pinhole viewers. Sign me up. You sound like a very small Wookiee. More of me to love. A small Wookiee is probably still bigger than a person, right? It depends on whether or not you consider the Star Wars holiday special canon. Anyway, what happens? Oh, yeah. Right. She says a shipping magnet named Henry <laughs> Ellison. Ma- ma- magnate. <laughs> She pronounces it magnet. I know she does. <laughs> and Rick pronounces it that way later when he's repeating it. And both times they say magnet. And I'm like, no, it's magnate. It's He's not a shipping. You can attach ferrous metals to him. It's bothersome. What does she say about this shipping magnet? Well, his name is Henry Ellison, and he loves her, but she doesn't love him back, and he's going to destroy her. And Rick is like, oh, I think I know who that guy is. He's like in his 60s, isn't she? And she's like, oh, no, he's very young. It's like, okay, whatever. They're going, walking along, and then Rick gets a little bit ahead of her, and he turns around, and she is just gone. I'm Batman. She vanishes into the sea. She Batmans into the ether. Yeah. And Rick's like, what? He's quite baffled. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. Is it a ghost? I did a lot of paranormal research, Graham, on ghosts. Did you really? Uh, I looked into it. Ghosts aren't real. (laughs) You run the numbers. I run the numbers. That's my uh, complete contribution to this week's trivia. You looked it up on the internet. Ghosts aren't real. All right. Well, a lot of people on the internet will tell you ghosts are real, and then they will try to take your money in order to contact those ghosts. My professional advice, do not give them your money, because ghosts aren't real. Fair enough. You know what is real? The next scene? Shakespeare. Yes. You know what's not being performed very well? Shakespeare. Yeah. Higgins is practicing fencing. Yeah. It's cut to daylight. And reciting. Well, he's reciting lines from Shakespeare, but he's not doing a very good job of it. He's He's doing lines from Romeo and Juliet. Yes. I don't know what part. Uh, Well, he tells Magnum, actually. It's Romeo and Juliet, act three, scene one. He says, and I quote, I am hurt. A plague of both your houses. I am sped. Is he gone and hath nothing? That's about the delivery. Yeah, it's not great. I like it when actors pretend to act badly. I do like that, actually. I think they get a kick out of it, honestly. Keeping in mind, John Hillerman is from Texas. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's doing this. Magnum wanders through shot. Chuck's a papaya into the ferrari it's a large green fruit that's so, all I. it's can really see. weird he's it's like he's going to get into the ferrari and he has this massive fruit and he's like throw this in the passenger seat and open the driver door and wait what's higgins doing and then just walks over and has the scene with higgins and you're like wait what where were you taking that fruit well higgins, why were you taking the fruit away from your house well he, he wants to eat it later higgins is <laughs> in one bite presumably <laughs> it's bigger than a football so Higgins is in full fencing gear. Yeah. And Zeus and Apollo are watching him and they're so cute. This episode gets a 10 out of 10 for Zeus and Apollo presence. In that they are in it. So Magnum asks Higgins what he's doing. Higgins tells him he's rehearsing Romeo and Juliet, Act 3, Scene 1, because he is staging a production of the play, presumably directing it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, a lady named Lydia Shaftesbury is in charge and he sort of berates Magnum for not recognizing Romeo and Juliet right away. But then... Kind well, he of- berates the American school system. Yeah, well. Which is not unreasonable. I wouldn't have known that. And I went to Canadian schools. I was in fancy English classes. 
Yeah, I was not. Okay. Anyhow, then after, you know, Magnum kind of has a laugh at him, the Higgins actually comes to Magnum. Apparently, Ms. Shaftesbury, who is staging this for society, has decided she needs extras and perhaps has seen Magnum around and would quite fancy him if he could dress up as an extra for Romeo and Juliet. With tights. With tights. Oh, a full period costume. Of course. Magnum is like, no, I am not doing this for you as a favor, wearing tights, for three hours a night for however many performances this is. It's kind of a big ask. I'd do it for you. I don't know if I'd do it for like an acquaintance. Well, I appreciate that, but I wouldn't ask you to. It's weird. It's a weird ask. Yeah. Also, I, I you, feel don't, it, you don't have the mustache. No, I feel that Lydia Shaftesbury just really wants to see Magnum in tights. Like she's been to the estate, seen Magnum and been like, oh. It's a good point about his mustache, I, I, I now realize. Because if he was in a real production, they'd have to, they'd ask him to shave that. Because that is not period facial hair. Anyway, Magnum is pretty noncommittal about it. Higgins offers him the sauna. I know. There's which, a bargaining going on. Which is the first time that a sauna has been mentioned on the Robin Masters estate. Saunas were a big deal in the 70s. Everybody has a sauna. It's also never going to be mentioned again, nor ever seen. Really? Yeah. Is that according to Magnum Mania? Yeah. Well, I mean, Magnum doesn't get the sauna, so why do we care? So that happens. Magnum is like, no ep. And goes to leave. And as he's driving out of the driveway with papaya in tow, <laughs> Rick in his Camaro comes up. I like this scene, by the way, speaking of the cars, because uh, we can see the Ferrari. And then in the background, we can see Robins 2 and 3. We can see the Audi and the Jimmy all mm -hmm. parked there, which usually we can't see all three of them. Mm. But it's a nice I, touch. I, I kind of like that. Anyway, yeah, Rick's Camaro. He's like, blamp, 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 like banging on the horn and like forces Magnum to pull over. And Magnum's like, what the F? I'm surprised Rick doesn't have the... Dukes of Hazard horn. I don't know if that's quite in character for him. He should have something. Like a vanity horn? Yeah. Like, but I feel like it's more like a smooth jazz. Like a... Weep, 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 weep. Every time he's angry in traffic. Weep, 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 Move! It's called a zipper merge, for F's sake. I go and then you go. Weep, 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 weep. Yeah, see, it's not... I don't think it quite works. Yeah, maybe just the standard horn's better. Yeah, probably. So he needs Magnum's help. He wants Magnum to investigate this lady who vanished mysteriously. All he knows is that her name is Sarah Clifford and some guy, some magnet named Henry Ellison is after her. It's important to note also that Rick says that he's in love with this oh, girl. Oh, right. And... Magnum laughs at him. And then Rick says, look, when you know, you know. And Magnum says, oh, you, fine, fine, whatever, Rick. Magnum's a good friend. He is. Magnum is doing this pro bono, by the way. Yeah, But I guess true. he just got paid. Yeah, I guess so. so. For, for what, we don't know. But we assume that he has to get paid from time to time or else he, how does he exist? Divorce case surveillance. Yeah, that's usually what he ends up doing. Eh. So they go talk to Henry Ellison. They're in his office. He's doing shipping stuff. He, he is indeed in his 60s, like Rick said. He is not the young man that Sarah Clifford described him as. And he's a little confused about why he's even let them into the office because he doesn't really have time for private investigators. And they say, look, we know, but we can, we're really hoping that you can help us. We're looking for this girl named Sarah. And he says, I, I know plenty of Sarahs. I know a lot of people. I don't see how I'm supposed to be able to help you with that. And the camera cuts to a reverse angle shot. We as the audience then see that there is conspicuously a painting of Sarah Clifford looking exactly like she did in 1945 and exactly like she did last night at the King Kamehameha Club on the wall mm -hmm. in his office. And I'm like, oh, that's her. And then eventually they turn around and they're like, no, that's the girl. That's the girl. We saw her, the girl in the painting. And he's like, 
Oh, that's Sarah. Well, he actually says, is this some kind of sick joke? Oh, yeah. Because she died in 1945. She did. Rick says, well, I didn't kiss a ghost last night. And Henry Ellison says, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't think you did. I think someone's messing with you with, uh, or, or with me. He does say that more people have seen Sarah lately. Like she is like making ghostly appearances or whatever. She's like a known ghost that she haunts their old estate. Not their old estate. It wasn't her and Henry's. She host, She haunts the old estate upon which she used to live. It's all very spooky. The Clifford Mansion. They're like, oh, weird. So Magnum decides to do some research. So he goes to the library and finds out all the information he can about Sarah Clifford, which is tricky because a bunch of the books that he wants are actually not there. Yeah, they've all been stolen, according to the librarian. Because they're reference materials. They can't actually be checked out, but they've been having a problem with theft recently. So while Magnum... This is weird, but it's kind of funny. While Magnum is sitting down beside the librarian's desk and reading newspapers facing away from her she comes back hands him some more information walks back around behind her desk and then and this is wordless turns around looks at the clock sees that it's five past five and then takes off her glasses lets down her hair unbuttons her blouse and i think even unbuttons her her skirt (laughs) up one button yeah or something goes from daytime librarian to sexy nighttime lady yeah it's just this sort of like oh it's five past five i'd better become sexy now but it's not but magnum can't see any of this happening so then at the end of the scene when she walks back around front he's like well what what huh but the tldr aside from this actually really nicely staged like this probably took a bunch of takes to get the timing and the dialogue and all of the actions right so i can appreciate this little attention to detail is that there was a lady who came by uh, last year who was who was investigating sarah clifford and that's it they they don't have any other information on it yeah because she doesn't remember this girl's name but if she had any information for magnum it's that she was very very beautiful but that magnum probably wouldn't have noticed that she says as she leaves. Magnum thinks, why, why, why would I not have noticed that? What, what is, is that supposed to mean? What is that? What is that? Huh? It's very funny. Yeah. Three buttons down on the blouse, I just noticed. I, yeah, it's a, it's, I wouldn't go three buttons down even if I was in full party mode. Though keep in mind my definition of full party mode is a walk adjacent to the beach in comfortable shoes, though, so... So Magnum goes back and talks to his own personal library, well, Higgins. Higgins knows a lot about Hawaiian society. He does. He does. Even historically from before he was there, which this is well before he was there. I feel like Higgins talks to a lot of gospel old ladies. He probably does. I mean, he has a bridge club. Oh, yeah. With people who are routinely dying. So, yeah. They got to pass on those secrets before they gag. Higgins tells him she disappeared from home during a party one night. They found the car the next day in the waters off Cocoa Head. Evidently, she had driven it over the cliff. They never found the body. Currents carried her out to sea. Of course, there have been some hysterical reports that Ms. Clifford now haunts her old estate, but I tend to disregard rumors of the netherworld. Magnum is like, the netherworld? Yeah. I'm like, that's a great name for it. I love Beetlejuice. <laughs> that's... Isn't that where they go in the Beetlejuice cartoon? Probably. Lydia and Beetlejuice. Yeah. Farting about in the netherworld. Well, yeah, but it's not like Beetlejuice made up the word. No. Although I always thought that was sort of atonally weird because I loved the movie when I was a kid and then I saw the cartoon and I was like, Lydia and Beetlejuice weren't friends. It's weird because I watched the cartoon before I ever saw the movie. Oh. So it was very confusing. That was more of that unsupervised movie watching when I was a kid. I watched a lot of movies I shouldn't have seen. You're not supposed to let an eight-year-old watch like Mad Max, are you? Probably not. Yeah, I turned out fine. You do have aversions to sand though. Mad Max might have something to answer for. Oh my god, my subconscious. 
However, there is a small trade-off for this information that Magnum gets. Yeah, he's getting sized for his tights today. Yep, he has to be in the play. Magnum is not happy, but he's willing to do this solid for Rick. Magnum's a good friend. Magnum's also... It's become abundantly clear over the course of the show that Magnum's also just super curious. No, he's a huge busybody. He re- It's not a busybody. He, he really bugs the crap out of him when there's loose ends. Yeah. When there's like things that can't be explained especially when he figures that he can explain it well i feel like it's it maybe that's why he wanted to become a private investigator he wanted to solve mysteries so he goes up to the clifford estate i would like to actually i'd like to add before the end of that scene magnum's investigating the set design diorama for the romeo and juliet oh yeah and i was pleased that there wasn't any heavy-handed romeo and juliet parallels to the episode that it's not like the episode is a romeo and juliet story and higgins is putting on a play of it's just he, he just is and this story has absolutely nothing to do with romeo and juliet i feel like they picked romeo and juliet because it would be easily recognizable to the majority of viewers right yeah like if you got to name a shakespeare play off the top of your head you're probably going with romeo and juliet yeah you don't want to do one of the kings i mean yeah not everyone's gonna or, be like oh king lear that classic yeah or like oh yeah titus andronicus yeah of course titus andromedon i love that guy <laughs> so funny meanwhile up at the estate it's seen better days it's basically just the framing of the house at this point yeah it's completely fallen into disrepair higgins does say there's some sort of family scandal that happened before sarah clifford died and so maybe their family had fallen on hard times and so after she died they just like packed it up and like moved away or something like that Mm -hmm. because yeah like it's basically completely overgrown which is nothing there weird considering something that will happen later but for now magnum turns around and sees a woman in white in the bushes and she runs away and so he sets off in pursuit and he is led on a merry chase around the estate through the now overgrown and awash in leaves and detritus tennis courts and then along this path along the path that we saw sarah clifford running away from her assailant in 1945 and then into the greenhouse really cool shot actually mm-hmm. the roof of the greenhouse is all fallen in and yeah, so, so there's only like panes of glass every like three panels or something like that. Yeah, and so there's this shot of Magnum running through the greenhouse, shot from a uh, tracking camera at the height of the roof, looking down through the the open spots in the greenhouse roof. Yeah, it's really a lovely shot. It's actually. a neat shot. It gets it gets used again later uh, with someone walking the other direction, and it's it's really neat both times. And the we'll call her the ghost goes out the back door of the potting shed, and then not locks it, but but like it's got one of those latch things, and she puts a padlock through it, but doesn't close the padlock. Yeah, but it's the same shot that we saw with a closed locked padlock in the pre-title in, scene in the pre-title of when she's getting killed, and so Magnum then. Runs back out of the greenhouse, chases her to the potting shed, and loses her, but finds on the ground, half buried, a white silk scarf thing with the embroidery SC on it. And he's like, good grief. For Sarah Clifford, of course. Magnum's not amused by No, he's pissed. He's like, I don't like being given the runaround, Mm -hmm. and I'm being given the runaround. And then he sees her again, standing in the bushes, and he says, all right, look, don't run away from me. We need to talk, and takes a couple steps towards her, and she says, no, wait, wait, don't come any closer. And he says, all right, fine. Well, look, what the hell's going on? And she's like, I'm a ghost. And he's like, well, let me help you then. She's like, I was killed. He's like, great. I want to find out who killed you. Let's work together. 
The ghost, or woman poorly pretending to be a ghost, tells him, Henry Ellison killed me. Magnum's actually having a lot of fun with this. Well, because he doesn't believe in ghosts. Yet I would like to remind the viewers that he believes in remote viewing. He says, well, if he killed you, why didn't you just go to the police? Oh, I know, because the police don't believe in the netherworld. As opposed to, oh yeah, because you were dead. Magnum's trying to put this together. He says, okay, so he knocked you out, put you in the car, and pushed the car off the cliff. Is that what happened? And the ghost, whoever, says, no, he he did it here. Here? Where? Here? And she says, where did you find that? The, the scarf he's the, holding. The scarf. And he's like, well, where did... Wait a minute. The scarf says, SC, Sarah Clifford, in the potting shed. He killed you in the potting shed, right? Right? Okay, look, will you come over here because I'm done to, I'm done with this. Like he, he's, uh-huh. My patience is zero now. Yeah, and she... It started at a two and it has diminished to zero. Yeah. So let's not screw around. She takes off and books it and he runs after her and his chase is interrupted. By a shovel. By a shovel. A shovel to the head. Well, a shovel to the guts to knock him over and then a shovel to the head. And then whoever his assailant is takes the SC scarf and his hat and then drags him to a chair. But then gives him his hat back so it's okay. Once he's once he's woken up, he gives him his hat back. So who's this? This is Joseph. The senile German groundskeeper. That there is still a groundskeeper is very weird to me. I don't know who would be... Like, he's not doing a great job. No. This is one man's fight against nature. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of one of those classic, like, uh, framing devices for conflict. And Joseph is not winning. Man versus the environment? Yes, yeah. exactly. The environment is overgrown and lush. Yeah. And Joseph is a little hard of hearing and a little wacky. Maybe he's volunteering his time. Maybe he's retired. Yeah, he is very wacky. Magnum is like, I saw this lady in white. And, oh, why did you knock me out? For the element of surprise. Yeah, yeah, I would have lost the element of surprise. Yeah, it's very silly. I don't know why he takes the scarf. I don't know why he's there. Nothing is really explained. But uh, he just he tells Magnum that more people have seen Sarah recently. Because she's a ghost, I guess. Magnum is unconvinced. I got to tell you about this guy. About Yosef? About the actor playing Yosef. Well, he's clearly, you can tell even on the DVD transfer. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have been able to tell on TV that he's a younger guy wearing older guy makeup. This is very, it's like played for laughs almost. I don't know why this is here. Well, he was born in 1935, so he's not that young. Okay, so he's like in his 50s, but he's like made up like a 70-year-old or something. Yeah. Or an 80-year-old. Yeah, that's true. But he's been in a lot of stuff. Over the years, he moved into voice work later in his career. Mm-hmm. He's actually the voice of Grandpa Longneck in the entirety of the Land Before Time movies and TV series. I have not seen a single one of those movies ever. Okay. Well, I didn't say it was for you necessarily that I was putting this information forward. If not for me, then for who? <laughs> Surely not the listeners. Well, you, I doubt very much that you care, but he is also the voice of King Triton in The Little Mermaid. And not just in The Little Mermaid, but every other instance of King Triton. Like, even in the direct-to-DVD sequel for The Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea? Even in Kingdom Hearts. Wow. Yeah. He's, he's a good racket. Yeah, no, he's... Who is this? I said his name's Kenneth Mars. You did not. I did. He passed away in 2011. Oh. But he still did the voice of King Triton in Kingdom Hearts two final mix so right up until the end he was he was doing voice work you however kathleen might know him better from his work with mel brooks ah he played the inspector in young frankenstein and he played the nazi franz liebkind in the producers oh 
where he played a you know the the comical big Nazi guy. Maybe that's so, why they've got him doing a German accent. Maybe, yeah. maybe somebody in the Magnum production office was a fan of the producers. He's got a history doing comedy Germans. He's doing another comedy German. I tell you what. He was also the voice of the overseer in in Fallout in the oh. in the first the first Fallout game. Fallout colon a post nuclear role playing game from 1997. He was the voice of the overseer of the vault. Neat. He was Sweet William in the TV series of Fievel's American Tales. He was... I hate those movies. He was Tuscanini in Darkwing Duck. I like Darkwing Duck. He was Buzz and Heimlich Menudo in TV's Tailspin. I love Tailspin. I guess what I'm saying is, yay Disney, boo Don Bluth. <laughs> he did voices in the New Kids on the Block TV series, of all things. Uh, I didn't watch that. He, he narrated the Flintstone Kids TV series. He also played the Tooth Fairy in a Twilight Zone segment called Tooth and Consequences. He seems like a wacky guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, had, he's had a very long career of recognizable bit parts, such as Yosef, the weird old groundskeeper in this episode of Maggie. The inexplicably German groundskeeper. Who, I mean, spoilers, I guess, for whom there is no payoff. Oh, no, we never even see him again. No, we do, once. And it is inconsequential. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot about him. It was so inconsequential. If you're interested, by the way, while I'm talking about actors, uh, Jack Hogan, who plays... Henry Ellison. Henry Ellison has also had a, a reasonable career, uh, but most notably at this period in time, he was actually the casting director for Magnum. So he's the comedy Nazi fan. I guess. So not only did he cast Kenneth Mars as crazy old Joseph here, but he was also like, oh, this Henry guy? Yeah, I can do that. And you know, let's just bring back Judith Chapman. That's, Nobody will notice. That's important to remember. This is 1981. Television existed in a much more ephemeral state. Yes, there were reruns, but it's not like Magnum immediately went into syndication. Pro unless you had taped it with your expensive home VCR, which not everybody had, it would probably have been years before you saw the Black Orchid Especially again. in 1980, home VCRs? 1980? Yeah. No. No, yeah. one, no one would have had them then, personally. I mean, maybe rich people. The point being, the Black Orchid aired on April 2nd, and this episode aired on October 22nd. So you might be like, oh. So it was like a seven and a half month gap. So... Even though it's not just the same actress, she looks identical, like she is styled identically. <laughs> Even w given that, you could be forgiven for not immediately recognizing that this is the same person from the Black Orchid. I still think it's a bad call to repeat an actress and make them look so similar that well she's also playing a lady who's obsessed with the past in both and kind of crazy so however yosef does give magnum some useful information he tells magnum the name of a lady who came by because she's writing a book about sarah clifford yes so i guess there's not no payoff i guess magnum need to get this information from somewhere True. And why not get it from a wacky German groundskeeper? Why not? Anyway, it's Lisa Page is who Magnum should be looking for. So he sends Magnum on his way and says if he ever comes back, maybe maybe warn him next time. Magnum and Rick now head to Lisa Page's house, which I'm, I'm much more forgiving of, of reusing locations than actors. Yeah. Lisa Page's house was the house from Skin Deep, where the actress went through the whole sort of shooting herself with the shotgun practice yeah but you barely saw that house yeah and this is all shot from different angles and it doesn't matter anyway we recognize it but we're pedants so eh. i'm very detail oriented when it comes to locations so lisa page answers the door and it's sarah clifford it, they they look the same they it's, look identical she's played by judith chapman again i mean obviously they're played yes. by the same actress because that's the whole point rick doesn't handle this well rick's like hey what are you doing and he like he even grabs her shoulders and magnum's like whoa 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 don't whoa. touch strange women S settle down simmer down now inexplicably 
she invites them inside, which I would not have done, but whatever, so that they can talk about it. She's a writer. She's writing a book about Sarah Clifford. She's been doing all this research. Turns out Sarah Clifford was her aunt, so she's like distantly related to this lady. She's apparently a spitting image of her. Apparently so. So she leaves the room to put some tea on, yeah. and Magnum notices that the books that he was looking for at the library, she's stolen, basically. She comes back in and says, oh, please don't tell anybody about that. I am going to return those, but... They I... won't let me take them out, and I need them. Yeah. Why not photocopy them? They have photocopy machines at the library they, they, for this purpose. They, they, they did have that. Again, 1980? They probably did. Oh, yeah. You couldn't take it out. It was reference material. Photocopiers were invented in the 80s. Or maybe it was a mimeograph. You, you write it down with your hand. Oh, no. <laughs> no Google search? Oh, God. Nope. Card catalog. Microfiche. Ugh. I'm tell. just saying library things. Me too. They tell Dewey Decimal System. They, she tells Magnum that Sarah was in love with Clayton, or Clay, as we've heard him refer to yeah. in the pre-title sequence, but Henry loved her, and it was kind of a thing, but she couldn't marry Clay, and then she died under mysterious circumstances. Because of some sort of society... Thing. Thing. It's never explained. Yeah. It's just like, oh, and they could not be together. Ugh. Again, it's not... Well fleshed out. Well, no, but I was going to say, you could be forgiven for trying to find some sort of Romeo and Juliet analog there, and it really is not the case. No. It's not like a two feuding houses thing. It's Or if it is, it's so badly done to as may well not exist. Yeah. She leaves the room to go and retrieve the tea, which is now ready. and That's may... the world's fastest kettle. If I could get a kettle that would boil in under a minute, I'd be very happy. Magnum starts poking around some more and finds a wicker chest full of Lisa Page's Sarah Clifford costume. Lisa walks back in and just tells them to get out. Magnum nor Rick say anything. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Rick does say one thing. She comes over and rips the costume out of their hands and Rick just looks at her and says, why? That is not resolved. No. Cut to them outside the house. But you know that Rick's asking a different question. Why did you lead me on? Yeah, why did you do all of that? So they just they just leave. They're like, we can't really do anything here, so we leave. So we go back to the King Kamehameha Club. Which we get a really cool aerial exterior shot of, finally. Yeah. It's right on the beach, but it totally doesn't look like the other exterior that we've seen recently. No, it doesn't. But we're back in the beach bar where Rick was at the beginning of mm -hmm. the thing where he first saw Lisa Sarah, except it's daytime, so you can see it's the beach. This is good. This feels much more like a beach location. Yeah, this is the classic King Kamehameha Club beach location, like the season one King Kamehameha Club. The bar overlooks the water, but it's in like a big two-story space yeah. with like big windows. This beachy location where it's sort of like on the beach and there's like an overhang and vines. That is classic King Kamehameha Club. Yeah. Magnum is sitting at the bar, drinking a beer, and demolishing a bowl of hard-boiled eggs. Look, he's got to get that swimmer's protein intake, right? You know? He's just sitting at the bar, eating hard-boiled eggs. I mean, he's eating them with salt. He's not a complete monster. It's weird, though. It was the 80s. It's weird, right? It's, I wouldn't do that. Okay. You'd think it'd give him terrible gas. You'd think. Magnum hits upon an idea while talking with Rick. Rick, it's this is one of those scenes where two people are having different conversations. Magnum is talking out loud, trying to suss out the case, basically, and Rick is sort of bemoaning his own romantic failures. And it the pacing of their speech sounds like a conversation, except they are not actually communicating with one another. No. It's not well written enough to be one of those things where two people are having separate conversations that actually interlocks. Which are tricky to write, but they're not impossible because, I mean, you've done it. Yeah, but it's not the point here. No. No. So 
Magnum hits upon an idea, picks up the phone, calls TC, because they're going to sneak back into the Clifford estate and try to find a body buried in the potting shed. Well, because Magnum thinks that's where the body is buried and that Lisa Page is doing all this wacky stuff because she needs help to get it out or something like that. It's never explained. Do you think that she targeted Rick because she knew that he was friends with Magnum? And hope that he would involve himself? I don't think so. He doesn't. She doesn't seem to know who they are enough for that. I think this is all just one big coincidence. And she's just dressing up like Sarah to... To spark anyone's interest. Basically, she's just going down to like well-known places where she knows she can sort of like vanish quickly because she's probably practiced it during the daytime. What a pain in the ass. Yeah, she's a crackpot. She's got several screws loose. If I, if I had bought her at Ikea, I would take her back to the returns department for insufficient bits. I was thinking to myself, shouldn't she have waited until she'd written the book? But then that, that looks really suspicious. No, she needs to have an exciting conclusion for the book. Right. Right? Like, if they don't find the body, then her book has no payoff and she's not going to sell as many copies. Yeah. So they're walking into the into the estate. It's during the day. Magnum is re- re- repeatedly reassuring TC that no, ghosts aren't real. Well, he, he doesn't say that, but he's like, something, something, ghosts. And TC's like, what, ghosts? You didn't tell me about ghosts. And Magnum's like, look, come on in. Just, just come on, keep walking. This is a this is a follow-up character thing from, remember, the Curse of the King Kamehameha Club. And they yeah. were talking about the Howley curse or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And TC was like, I don't really want to be involved in this. TC, if maybe he does not believe in the supernatural, is... is he doesn't see any reason to take a chance. Yeah, TC's risk averse. Yeah, he's like, look. When it comes to the nether realm. He's like, ghosts aren't real, probably, but if they are. I don't want to piss a ghost off. Yeah, so <laughs> Magnum says that TC doesn't even have to dig. He'll just keep watch while Magnum reconnoiters. And Rick says, wait, wait, wait. If you're keeping watch and you're reconnoitering, who's doing the digging? Hard cut to Rick digging in a pit. Well, now Magnum is doing this for Rick's benefit. So I feel like even Rick can't object too much. Yeah, it is also now nighttime. They've been digging for a while. This pit is deep. It's like six feet deep. Yeah. This pit scene is from the opening credits. And I think it stays in the opening credits for a long time. It comes in in season two. And it's like one of those famous Magnum scenes. Yeah, it's Rick is down in the pit, not wearing a shirt, digging. TC's looking down from the edge of the pit. And Magnum runs in and scares the crap out of both of them. Yeah. But it's because Yosef is coming. So Rick has to keep digging while TC and Magnum keep watch. And we get shots of Yosef wandering around talking to the plants. Why is he there this late at night? Why is he talking to the plants? It's just weird because like nothing... It's built up like magnum and tc are there with like a shovel and they're waiting to have a shovel fight with joseph and then nothing happens and then rick calls them back over and he has indeed found a body well a skeleton well yeah a skeleton so then we cut to lisa's house where lisa is now sitting in a chair being threatened by a man with a gun oh who is that man well it's henry ellison presumably they called the police I guess. That's what I would have done. I don't have a horse in this race. Yeah. I mean, he starts the scene by saying it was surprising to see Sarah's name in the papers again. So there you go. So yeah. they probably called the police. We're like, we found a body. So he's got a gun. He's reading her manuscript. And he tells her to put the Sarah Clifford costume on. He's also got a few screws loose. Yeah, it's a little weird. There's a bit where he like he puts her hair up and then he's like 
put this on. She does look a lot like Sarah to the point that he's, even he is a little weirded out by it. And then the next scene starts with Magnum and Rick hauling ass up to the house in the Ferrari, bursting inside. It's empty, but his cigarette, which they know is his brand because they were in his office, is still in the ashtray. Like smoldering. Smoldering. So there's only one place that they figure they could have that they could have gone back up to the Clifford Estate, and indeed we cut to the tennis court at the Clifford Estate. If there's one thing I super like about this episode, it's how crappy and run down this tennis court looks compared to how it looked in the pre-title. Because the 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 pre-title or the cold open was shot at night Mm -hmm. and so it's totally feasible that it could be a completely different location but no i think it's the like it looks very similar then then this is then this is amazing set dressing yeah alternately amazing set cleaning and they shot it the pre-title at night because they knew it would be easier to disguise the fact that it was in disrepair than to make it look like it was overgrown during the day either way it definitely looks like 30 years of neglect yeah, it's a really good job. Yeah. So they're standing there on the tennis court and Henry Ellison starts saying, why why Clayton and not me? Why couldn't you love me? And Lisa's like, okay, I'm a little too deep into this. Um, I guess I should jump in with both feet. But but I did love you, Henry. And then starts kissing him. That's the kissing noise. Yeah. And Henry says, I'm not that crazy. Well, you're about to kill me, so you're pretty crazy. See, I would not I would not be playing along in this kind I of think situation. She ma- I, I think she made the right call. This guy is clearly nuts, and I should just go with it. And if he's in love with me, maybe he won't kill me. And, and I will get a chance to go to the police or something. Yeah, and it doesn't... Nope, doesn't work. Doesn't work. So she's like, ack! She starts hauling ass away through scrubby undergrowth in high heels and i'm like oh that's not gonna go well and then she immediately eats crap in basically the same place that sarah clifford ate crap yeah and then runs into the greenhouse because of course that's gonna work well and we get very very similar shots with like watching henry ellison's legs walking through and and lisa hiding in the same place that sarah did except now it's daytime and we get another one of those really cool shots looking the cool tracking shot looking down through the top of the greenhouse and eventually he gets too close and she can't stay hidden so she runs for the back door which is still locked However, it's 30 years later, so she just bangs on it, and then, like, the, the metal piece that holds the lock in just pops out of the wood, because the wood's old and rotten and Yeah, crappy. it just rips apart. So she runs through the door, gets away, and runs directly into Rick, who is there. Henry Ellison bursts out of the greenhouse, sees Rick and Lisa, fires at Lisa. Rick throws her out of the way, takes a bullet. Magnum jumps in and shoots Henry. With apparently a cannon. With, well, it's a handgun, but Henry does sort of fly backwards rather comically through the greenhouse. Yeah, like, well, no, he flies. Oh, through, through, the through, through the wall of the potting shed, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, he's on, it looks like he's on a being pulled on a string. That is how they do those stunts. Yes, but he looks like he's being pulled on a string. Yeah. For those who aren't aren't aware, when someone does that in a movie where there's like a they get hit by a gun and they go flying backwards, that's they usually have a cable attached to sort of their waist. So Magnum asks Rick if he's okay, even though he's taken a bullet. Rick, who presumably has taken more than one bullet in his time in Nam, says, says that he's fine. And then Magnum goes over and looks through the wall of the potting shed where Henry's just flown. Well, the problem being Henry just hasn't flown through the wall of the potting shed, which might have broken if he'd stumbled back into it. But there's a very, very new thing in the potting shed, which is a dirty big pit. Where Sarah Clifford's body was. And that is where Henry's body now lies because magnum's a lot better shot than henry well it's just also it's you know poetic justice 
that for him to die where he buried Sarah Clifford. Yes, murder without consequence. It has been so long since Magnum has killed somebody with no consequences. There's no consequences. Spoiler. Yeah. Magnum totally kills this guy, and uh, I guess it's a self-defense thing because nothing happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what do you expect? He had a gun. But still, I mean, like, normally they're like, you know, normally you have to go to court. We then transition back to the King Kamehameha Club beach bar at night. TC, Magnum, and Higgins are sitting around. Higgins is drowning his sorrows, basically, because Lydia Shaftesbury has decided to go another direction with the Romeo and Juliet production, and Higgins is out because he refuses to stage an edition of Romeo and Juliet cast entirely with Samoans. And at this point, me and Graham and our house guests, Adam and Lindsay, who are already watching amusement because they have screamed murder without consequences really loudly in the middle of the living room, all look at each other and we're like, that's racist. So, I mean, we're going to double count this episode. That's a very old crotchety British thing to say. That Shakespeare ro- can't be done with non-white people. Yeah, basically. And Higgins is really, really annoyed about this too. You, you would not be able to do this in TV today. You probably would. It would just make the character look like more of an asshole. If Magnum was being made today, it would be some like some reference to some sort of like Boz Lerman thing with like like they were going to, you know, rap instead of do like the soliloquies or something like that. And everything was going to be like edgy and internet. God, I actually. That sounds terrible. Like the rapping maybe could be fun, but the edgy and internet Boz Lerman treatment. Yeah, exactly. It's weird because you'd think that I would be super into Baz Lerman and I just can't stand it. I mean, it's not for everyone. No, it's, it's not. It's mostly for teenage girls, as far as I can tell. I think so. Well, good for them. They gotta have something. <laughs> yeah, because nothing in the world is tailored to teenage girls. <laughs> the buying power of a teenage girl is astronomical. Well, it's a lot more than me. All I want is sensible shoes adjacent to the beach. No marketer wants to sell to me. But the bright side to this whole like racist Higgins thing is that because they're changing the direction of the play and they're doing it with Samoans and, you know, native people and stuff like that, which I actually think I'd rather see that. Magnum is off the hook. He doesn't have to be an extra anymore. So it's all worked out for Magnum. And Magnum and TC go and sit down with Rick and Lisa, who are now hanging out, which is a little weird, but sure, if I was Rick, I would have some trust issues, but that's fine. I mean, clearly Rick does not think too heavily about his romantic entanglements. Yeah. And Magnum's like, all right, so obviously you were hanging out at the place to stir up stuff for the book, and that's cool and everything, but why didn't you just tell me that look in the potting shed? And Why didn't you just look at the fucking potting shed herself? Yeah. And she says, I didn't know to look there. And Magnum says, well, why did you lead me in there with the, where the scarf was buried? And she says, I didn't do that. And he's like, you're, you're telling me that you didn't lead me on a chase through the friggin' thing, and then we had this whole talk, and then I got hit with, I got hit with a shovel. And she's like, no, no, that was me. I was there. I was the one talking to you. We talked. I didn't go into the potting shed. I did not lead you in there. Yeah. I didn't lead you through the, any, like the greenhouse or the potting shed or any of that. I just was running around the perimeter. Magnum's like, what? How is that? Huh? And he doesn't believe her. And but he says, okay, sure, whatever. IKEA returns it, department, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, you want to stick with this? Fine. Magnum gets up and walks down the beach and lights up a big cigar and looks over and sees further down the beach, Sarah Clifford standing there in the surf. Sarah turns and looks at him. He looks back at the King Kamehameha Club. Lisa is still sitting there with Rick. He looks back at the beach and Sarah is gone. And then Magnum looks directly into the camera and we hard cut to credits. It's a fantastic look. I wish I could make this look for you on the 
on the podcast. It looks okay. a lot like the Kappa face on Twitch, actually. I don't know what you know that dis, you know that disappointed dash hound meme. Oh yeah, it looks like that. He's he's very frumpy. He's like, he's like so. This is a perfect episode. We have a one on the murders without consequences count. Yep. We have one on the that's racist count. Yep. And we have one on self aware looks at the camera. Yep. I mean, we could probably throw in a different time count, maybe. Yeah, eh. I, don't, I don't think we need to. The point being, I mean, from that point of view, this episode's a 10 out of 10. From, from the, ticking up useless numbers. Yeah, from the point of view of being an actual episode of Magnum, I actually think this is the best one of the season so far. It is. Lindsay watched this and she's like, are they always so Scooby-Doo? And I'm like... It is very Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I'm like, no. I said at the beginning, I was immediately put off by seeing Judith Chapman again because I so greatly disliked her character and the whole story of the episode The Black Orchid. And she's much better here. Maybe I went in with very low expectations. Yeah. But this episode was actually really good. I thought it was okay. Well, I'm not... Okay. Maybe really good was giving it too much. But I enjoyed it. It's much better than the first two episodes of the season. Yeah, big time. Because the first two episodes of the season have been a little shaky, as far as I'm concerned. But this one is pretty decent. Yeah. And, it, you know, sure, the episode was Scooby-Doo-ish. Yeah. But that's fine. You okay. can do that. It's the, wacky 1980s television. It bugs me that we never got any greater motivation for why Lisa was doing the stuff that she was doing. Like, I understand, be, you know, being ghostly up at the thing, but why she was, like, hanging out at the club and and Well, maybe it was actually, but no, but this closing scene, you know, maybe, maybe that it was, was actually Sarah, Sarah Who knows? club. The closing scene actually doesn't bug me that much because it's a very, like, 1980s TV, like, but maybe there was a ghost. Like, it's like, oh, okay, that's, sure. That's that's cute. Whatever. I don't know why Yosef existed. Except to tell Magnum about Lisa. Lisa's name. Yeah, which is but like... But you could have gotten that from the library. You could have just cut that whole character. I guess it was just to add tension to the to the scene where they're digging that's like oh no we can't get seen by this guy that we could easily overpower as long as he doesn't surprise and he's us actually with a, a really nice guy and he said if you're gonna come out again just warn me yeah why does it have to be secretive yeah so apart from that i thought this was pretty good uh, i give it a seven okay because it's not bad but it's not great but it's not as bad as they have been i'll take it next week we'll be looking at the episode from moscow to maui well that sounds good spies possibly fingers crossed all right well i'm i'm in let's hope this is the start of an uptick in quality yeah our ability to bring you this podcast is brought to you by you and with your kind support of our patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run it doesn't just support the magnum rewatch but many 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 other things that we do and we'd uh, really appreciate it if you would check that out because we really value your support so until next time zeus apollo help me run this blocking If Lisa was a fruit, I'd take it back because it was damaged. If Lisa was a table, it would be on scratch and dent sale. If Lisa was a box of screws, there'd obviously be a few missing. If Lisa was a computer, she would have bad RAM. That's my song about people who are a few screws loose. What? Nothing. I thought it was good. Yay. Thank you.